0: book of Philippians. It was a letter written by the Apostle Paul. It's it's short. It's only a couple pages long in most Bibles. And it's it's one of the places that that a lot of people would say is their favorite book in the Bible, maybe because it's short, but also because of the theme. The theme of the book of Philippians is the theme of joy and how, how the gospel, a life of following the gospel will be a life of joy. And if if that's the theme of the gospel, if we, if we agree that that's the theme of Philippians, the passage we're looking at today is at the heart of that theme. It's Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 28. It's printed in your program there if you'd like to follow along. And uh, here's Paul. And remember, the book of Philippians was a letter that Paul wrote to his friends in uh, the church at Philippi. That's what, where it got the name. And and he's giving them an update on his life. He writes it from a prison in Rome where he's awaiting trial. And this is what he says Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served for the advance of the gospel. As a result, it's become clear to the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The later do so in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and for this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And I eagerly expect and hope that I will not be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body, convinced of this. I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you, for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Jesus Christ will abound on account of me. And this is God's word for God's people this morning. Now, one of the untouchable, essential American ideals, one of our inalienable rights in America and this might be news to you if you're not from America, but I've just shown up here, but one of our inalienable rights, enshrined in the Declaration of Independence, is our right to the pursuit of happiness. Americans have the right to pursue happiness, whatever it might take. And I've found over the years that when when you, I challenge some people sometimes, or when I'm talking to people about their lifestyle or, or changes that they're thinking about making, uh, one of the things that ends the conversation, or is a rebuttal to every suggestion, is when they say, but I am happy, or, but I'm not happy. Because in the American ideal, for so, so many of us, if we're happy, we're, we have a right to do whatever we're doing, or if we're not happy, we have a right to change whatever needs to be changed. But the problem that I've observed in working with people over the last couple decades is that happiness is more elusive than we think that it ought to be. You know, it's it's strange that with all the progress that we are the beneficiaries of, all the economic progress that's happened all around us, all the technical, the progress in technology and medicine, and everything else, all the the millions of people who've taken psychology classes in the history of America, and yet we haven't figured out happiness. And happiness remains elusive to us. Some of you might remember in in uh, November, the US Center for Disease Control and Prevention announced something disturbing about America. And that is that in America today, the life expectancy is actually declining. For the first time since World War One. Americans are generally uh, as, as a group expected to live shorter lives than they used to. And this goes back to, according to the CDC, it goes back to an increase among middle-aged men, I guess guys like me, who, uh, who are dying what they call deaths of despair, which, which is a broad term for people who are dying as the comp- for, because of the complications of addiction or through suicide, or self-harm, or, or something of that case. People are dying deaths of despair. Even in America, even today, the, that, that is happening in such great numbers that the that, that life expectancy of our nation is changing. The problem is, I think experience has shown that the pursuit of happiness is actually self-defeating. In other words, if you tell me that your goal in life is simply to be happy, I can pretty much guarantee you that you're not a happy person. Because if your priority in life is simply happiness, then in in an ironic kind of way, you're never going to find that way. If all you, the only question you ask yourself about your life is, am I happy? Every time you ask yourself that question, you know what the answer will be? No, because you're focused on something that that you just can't quite get at directly. And so what the Bible invites us to, what the Gospel invites us to, what the book of Philippians invites us to is something different than happiness, something a little more nuanced, and it's the pursuit of joy. You know, and what, what is joy? Uh, you know, it's hard to define, but I think it's that sense of spiritual well-being that transcends our circumstances, our situation, and our station in life. It's that mixture of contentment and hope and connection that we experience in the good times that 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 works together to help us get through whatever we're getting through. It's something that can't be earned or achieved or bought, but it's a gift that God offers to all of us regardless of who we are regardless of what we are regardless of our station in life joy is a possibility and so that's why philippians is such an important book and philippians is such a a popular book because it gives us a picture of irrepressible joy and so people read the book of philippians when they're trying to drill down and figure out what it means to live a life of joy or how it is joy can be something that we Attain to and and it, and it's sort of a paradoxical book if you're familiar with the book of Philippians it's classified as one of Paul's prison epistles because he wrote it when he was in prison so that that's kind of the irony here is he's writing up an epistle about the topic of joy but he's writing it from a prison cell and you know you would think Paul in that circumstance would have a right to be miserable, a right to be depressed, a right to complain about the place that he finds himself. He's he's being held in prison and he's facing a trial for a capital crime. And, you know, he was in prison and it was kind of his own fault. In Acts 25, Acts 25 it tells us the story of how he ended up in prison. He was in trial before Festus. And Festus Festus said, you know, I could, I could let you go now if you want, and you could just go back to Jerusalem, and we could work something out. Tried to offer him sort of a plea, and Paul refused to take the plea. Instead, he appealed to Caesar, and Festus said, well, you've done this to yourself. You've appealed to Caesar, and told to Caesar, you will go. And so he's in this bad place. I mean, who wants to be in prison waiting for a trial? And it's all his own fault. You know, I, I think at this point, and this is Paul's Paul's a grown man at this point, and I, and he's given his life to serving God. I would think if it was me, I'd be at a place of doubting myself and also doubting God. Like, why would God let your life turn out this way? Uh, but instead, Paul uses his downtime in prison to do a lot of different things, and one of them is to write the Epistle of Joy, which gives us a picture of irrepressible joy how we can attain that and so that's that's what we're looking at now and so I have four four points that here and if you're looking at the program you'll notice the scripture reading is broken up into four paragraphs and each paragraph kind of covers one of the points and so it's like four four aspects of finding irrepressible joy in our life and the first is this is find a purpose a greater purpose even in your prison Like I say, Paul is in prison, but he's not upset or depressed about being in prison. He actually sees a big upside to it. In verse 12 he says, I want you to know that my chains have really served to advance the gospel. In other words, this is working out for the purpose of my mission. And he says, I'm getting an opportunity to share the gospel with a palace guard. In other words, this is great being in prison, there's all these prison guards, and I'm getting to share Jesus with them. You know, I mean, I have a lot of people I'd like to share the gospel with, but I don't want to share the gospel with prison guards, at least while they're on duty, because, you know, that's not quite where I want to be. But Paul sees that as an opportunity. He's sharing the gospel with the prison guards. And then not only that, but he finds that, he discovers that his circumstances are inspiring his followers inspiring the other brethren to pe- preach the gospel more boldly. So far from being intimidated or going underground, his followers and his disciples are being more bold in their witness because they see what he is going through. And so what you see here is that Paul's purpose in life wasn't comfort or safety or prosperity or nice vacations or a secure retirement. Paul's purpose in life was the spread of of the gospel. He didn't sit there in prison and say, am I happy today? He didn't do that. Rather, he looked at how the larger purpose of his life was being fulfilled even through his difficult circumstances. Because see, here's the irony of life. If you seek comfort in life, at some level you'll never really be able to relax. If you seek safety, you'll always feel vulnerable and insecure. If you seek security, you're always going to be hyper aware of the risks that you face. And if you seek happiness, like I said, the irony is you'll actually never be happy. But Paul had a bigger purpose in his life. Paul had a sense of mission in his life. And even as he's held in prison, even as he's awaiting a trial, and his trial is for a capital crime, and if you know the story of the life of Paul, his trial ultimately ended in him receiving a sentence of death and, 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 and enduring the death penalty. He's not obsessed with himself. He's not focused on himself. Rather, he's obsessed with the larger purpose of his life that's unfolding, which is the advance of the gospel through him and the advance of the gospel in him. And, you know, this is important for all of us because I know regardless of what your circumstance is, regardless of what your situation is, from time to time, all of our lives feel like a prison in that we just don't like the circumstance we're in. Maybe we're in a job that we hate but we need because it's the best we can do right now. You find yourself in a living situation. You're like, why, why do I have to live in this place and with these people? Or you find yourself even in a relationship situation that you feel trapped in and and you say, why has God put me here or in a city you don't want to be in or in another circumstance you don't want to be in. A lot of times we can get frustrated at the walls of of the prison of our own making, even if it's not a concrete prison with bars and guards, just the things that are keeping us from doing what we really want to do or what we really ought to be doing and you know it's easy for us always to blame our circumstances for our unhappiness and it's tempting in the midst of difficult circumstances to want to seek some sort of a geographical solution to those to say well if i could just move to a different city if i could just move to a different job if i could just move to different friends if i could just get a new apartment then i'd finally be happy and so we seek a geographical solution to our personal, emotional, or, or spiritual problem. But the data shows, and life shows, that those geographical solutions actually never work. Because, you know, no matter where you go, there you are. So long as you're taking yourself with you, you're going to be just, just as unhappy in California as you are in New Jersey, even though California sounds really good right now, you know? Uh, but because because we're, we're always we always want to look outside of ourselves for the solution to our problems but the opportunity of the gospel and the challenge that Paul gives us here is to look inside of ourselves and to try to find a purpose and try to find joy and try to find hope even if we feel like we're constrained even if we feel like we're in prison so, So what Paul does is he enters into a a purpose that's greater than his own personal well-being in that moment. He sees prison as just the opportunity that God has given him right then and there. And Paul believes that God had put him in prison at that moment so that through that prison, the gospel could go out. In another place, in 2 Timothy 2.9, Paul puts it this way, I'm chained, but God's word is not chained. See, Paul had a larger purpose in life, and I think that for you to actually have a life that's joyful, one of the things you've got to find is a larger purpose that you're living for, a larger responsibility that you are trying to move, to have an inspiring answer to the question, what difference does my life make right now? Because when you're absorbed in a purpose, larger than yourself, sometimes life will be hard, sometimes life will be uncomfortable, sometimes you'll have to make sacrifices, but you'll be able to do it with joy because you see the bigger picture of what your life is all about. So Paul finds a purpose in his prison. The second thing I want you to see here is that Paul refuses to take problem people personally. Now remember, Paul was brought to Rome as a prisoner. He was brought there under, under guard and, and deposited in, in the prison there. And, but he had some hopes because there was already an established church in Rome. And Paul was hoping that when he arrived in Rome, they'd be happy to see him and they'd all embrace him. And, 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 and he'd have lots of sweet fellowship and support and they'd bring him warm food and, and, and things like that. Uh, and he even wrote a letter reaching out to, to the church at Rome. You might have heard of it. It's called the Book of Romans which some, some of you might have read at some point. But but that, that was all his effort to introduce himself because he knew at some point he'd be going to Rome and he wanted to have a, a good connection with the believers there. But he got kind of a rude surprise when he got there because the church was established in such a way that the leaders there found the presence of Paul in their city as something of a threat. And so, so he says, you know, some pre- people are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. And they're just trying to stir up trouble for me even while I'm in prison. Can you imagine the vindictiveness of these people? They're in, that the, the, Paul is in prison, their fellow believer, their fellow apostle, and they're just trying to make his life more difficult by the way they're preaching the gospel, and and they're they're building their own churches at the expense of his church. And we don't really know the details of what's going on here because Paul refuses to obsess about it, and these people who were making his life miserable are, are basically forgotten. But he refuses to take it personally, even though they're antagonistic towards him in his vulnerable state. Uh, he he refuses to be upset by their their uh, sabotage and he has the ability to see past their on, animosity to see hey if this is the way god's going to work then this is the way god's going to work and i'm simply going to accept it and see this goes back to the fact that paul had a purpose in his life that was bigger than himself and he realized that his life was not about him. The, the work of the church was not about him. It was about something grander than him. And so whatever it took for that grander purpose to be accomplished, Paul could embrace. And see, so Paul was this amazingly magnanimous man who gave this, this judgment of charity to everyone around him. And I think that was another key to his joy. I mean, he could have gotten, gotten into this letter and said to the Philippians, you wouldn't believe it, I showed up here in Rome and, and the people who I was counting on to uh, embrace me are actually making my life worse. They're spreading rumors about me. They're doing all these things that are, 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 are making it even harder for me to be in Rome. Why doesn't anyone come visit me and bring me cookies and, and talk to me? But he doesn't say that. He's like, well, they're gonna do what they're gonna do and somehow the gospel's gonna go forward and I'm not going to worry about it. And so that's a challenge for us, because you know when we, if we allow ourselves to obsess about our adversaries and the people we're not getting along with, and the people who are antagonistic toward us, then we're guaranteed to always be miserable, because we're giving those people power. But see, Paul doesn't give them power. Paul takes their power away and says, well, God is at work in them, in the way he's gonna work, and I'm just gonna trust that he's going to work things out and I'm going to surrender this to God. So in our life, we're going to have people like Paul had who are going to be trying to suck the joy out of us. But I think Paul gives us a picture here when he chooses to surrender even the antagonism of people who should have been supporting him. He surrenders their antagonism to God himself and trusts that God is going to work things out. So... He doesn't take the problem people personally. And the third thing you see is that Paul is holding on to a promise that he'll ultimately prevail. The fact that he's in prison doesn't dev- devastate his hope, but he believes that everything is ultimately and essentially and profoundly going to work out. He says in verse 19, What has happened to me will work out for my deliverance. And then verse 20 says, Christ will be honored by my life, whether by 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 life or by death. You know, Paul is in prison. He's awaiting trial. And he, he's got no real reason to believe that the trial is going to go well and that everything's going to work out. In fact, we know, historically speaking, it didn't go well. And Paul was, was trying to keep a happy face, but but he was on his way to his final execution. But in the midst of all that, he still had hope. Hope that God was in control and hope that God was working his purpose in the midst of this difficulty. Because here's what you gotta understand. Paul wasn't just a preacher of the gospel. The gospel wasn't just a message or a set of dogmas that he wanted people to believe. But Paul was most essentially someone who, who lived the gospel and who believed the gospel as as a way of looking at everything. And remember the story of the gospel? The story of the gospel is about the only innocent man who ever lived who was brought up on charges before Pontius Pilate and was condemned even though he was innocent and then was crucified even though he had done nothing wrong. And, and that was the darkest day, and that was the saddest day, and that was the most unjust day and moment that had ever happened in human history. But even through his, this injustice, even through the unjust condemnation, even through all of these things, the end result was resurrection, and it was the pathway to the restoration of Of all things and so what the gospel meant for Paul was that the same power that raised Christ from the dead was at work in his situation even as he was locked up in prison even as he was facing the death penalty even as he was facing condemnation for following his call before God and and if Jesus could if God could raise Jesus from the dead God could use his terrible circumstances for his glory as well and so for paul the resurrection wasn't just a a a a thing that you believed oh yeah on easter jesus rose from the dead but it was his whole paradigm for how god works in ephesians 1 paul prays for the church at ephesus and he says and i pray that you might know the power of god for those who believe the power that's like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. See, what Paul believed, his message was that the same power that restored Jesus and and brought him again from the dead, that same power is at work in everybody who believes in Jesus, and everybody who trusts in Jesus. And that's particularly true when we're facing injustice, when we're facing unfairness, when we're facing pain, when we're facing agony, when we're facing devastation. God is able to restore those circumstances. And that's what Paul was holding on to. And so as Paul's sitting in prison, he's got all kinds of confidence. He says in verse 21, "For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, because I would prefer to be depart or die and be with Christ, which is better by far." So he's looking forward to to heaven, and he knows that this life isn't everything. And his his confidence in eternity gives him confidence that he'll be able to handle whatever happens in earth. So he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body. So he says, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know God's going to give me the courage to face whatever's going to happen because that's what he does. And in the end, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. And the worst that can happen is actually the best that can happen. I'll depart to be with Christ, which is better by far. And so those two together give him his confidence before men. His his assurance of his eternal hope and his assurance of God's presence with him right now. And here's the thing about life. I've, I've found that if this life is all you have then it's going to be very hard for you to enjoy this life. If this life is all you have then all the setbacks you have are going to devastate you. Because the way to really enjoy this life is to know that this life is just a prelude to something greater, that this life is just the prelude to eternity. And really our hope is to live forever with God, to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, like Paul says. And it's that hope of heaven, that hope of an eternal home in heaven, that enables us to take the ups and downs of life as they come, with, with joy and with hope. I mean, the way I could illustrate it is, is—is do any of you like to camp? Are there any campers here? Okay, we got, we got four or five, <laughs> you city people. But, uh, but uh, I, I, I've, I have camped before, let me just say. <laughs> I might camp again one day, but, uh, but one thing I've learned about camping is the reason you can enjoy living in a tent for a day or two days or three days one of the reasons living in a tent can be fun for a few days is because you, as you're living there, you're like, you know what? In a couple of days, I'm going to be going home. I'm going to take a hot shower. I'm going to turn on the air conditioning and stream Netflix for a couple of hours and sit on my couch. And I know that this this tent life is just a temporary thing, you know. And 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 because it's temporary, you can have fun in a tent for a couple of days. Or some people can. Um, but, but on the other hand, if a tent was all you had, and you had, and you knew the tent was going to be the the only home that you had for a full twelve months, and you're you're camped out here in a park somewhere in Jersey City, it's going to get pretty miserable pretty quickly because it's all you've got, and there's nowhere else to go, and you're stuck there. You're stuck there when it's cold. You're stuck there when it's wet. You're stuck there when it's hot. Uh, it's it's all that you have. The key to enjoying. Tent camping is knowing that it's a temporary situation, and it's the same thing with life. The key to having joy in life, the key to having hope in life, the key to making the most of life, ironically, is knowing that it's a temporary situation, knowing that this life isn't everything, and we're looking forward to eternal life. Paul says in another place, we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So meanwhile, we're groaning. It's like we went tent camping and it's raining out and our tent is flooding. But we know that we'll go home soon to our eternal house in heaven, and that's where we'll be secure. So for the Christian, one of the reasons we can have joy when we've got a health problem that it looks like won't go away or we've got a relationship problem that's broken our heart or our finances aren't working out that that well or our job is really a drag that's sucking the life out of us and we wonder why life is this way is we can we can have joy in the midst of those difficulties because of the hope that we have in eternal life and that's what Paul has as he as he sits here he says well I I'm here, and I, might, and I might not make it, but if so, I'll depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. And so, so I, I can be happy, I can have joy in the midst of all this. But Paul's not ready to go just yet. He says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but is more necessary for you that I remain in the body convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with you for your progress and your joy in the faith. Because see, as much as Paul was looking forward to heaven, looking forward to departing to be with Christ, he also knew he had work to do and he had these deep personal connections. And that's, that's the, The third point here, in the picture of irrepressible joy, it comes through personal connections. The source of joy is the work of Christ. The source of joy is the hope of heaven. But the way we experience that existentially is through our personal connections. Paul, We think of Paul, and you probably, if you're familiar with the New Testament, and you've read some Some of the life of Paul, you know that that he he came across as sort of the ultimate rugged individualist. he didn't have a family, and he argues that it was good that he didn't have a family because because that that enabled him to be an apostle and and go from place to place planting these churches and to be on the run and and uh, and face all the opposition that he had. He was a single road warrior who who never stayed in one place for long. but if you read more closely especially the letters of paul one of the things you see another point of view on him is that paul was a person who cultivated deep personal connections and deep personal relationships everywhere he went on the one hand he was a man with no family he had no children he had no wife he had no extended family but on the other hand he had a big family even as he writes this letter he says i'm writing to you my brothers and sisters and throughout There's this family language that pervades it. He says, it's through your prayers that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He says, it's necessary for you that I stay alive. The reason I'm staying alive is so that I can be with you and help you progress in the faith. He says, I'm going to continue with you for your progress and joy. See, Paul recognizes that it's his relationship and his being with them and their connection with each other that's going to be the basis for their joy. This joy is not something that we just that comes out of nowhere. It comes through our relationships and our connections with others, and and he even says that you're going to glory in Christ Jesus because of my visit to you. So, so this is important because you know when we talk about. The gospel. We talk about Jesus as the source of joy. Uh, we got, got to also remember that the means that God has appointed by which we experience the joy of Christ is through our relationships with other people, through our connections in the family of God. It's not something that just hits us out of the blue when we're sitting, sitting all alone in our room. It's something that comes to us as we engage in meaningful relationships and connections with other people. It's something, the, the, the grace of the gospel is something that grows as we share it and as we give it away. And that's why the church is not just a, an afterthought in God's plan, but it's of the essence of God's plan, because we need one another, we need our connections with one another in order to experience the power of the gospel in our lives. It's Jesus is the source but our connections are, are the means by which we tap the source. I mean, here's Paul. He's one of the greatest Christians ever. If you're familiar with Paul the Apostle, he wrote, he personally wrote one-third of the New Testament. So if anyone had a direct line to God, it was Paul the Apostle. And yet, he's the one who says that, that, that he's deeply committed to these connections with his friends in the church in Philippi. In, in Philippians chapter 1, this isn't in your program, but it's just prior to that, Paul says, It's right for me to feel this way about all of you because I have you in my heart. I mean, that's kind of mushy language to, for an apostle to use. I, I mean, and then he says, Whether I'm in chains or confirming and defending the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me, and God can testify how I long for all of you with. The affection of Christ Jesus. See, his experience of the joy of the gospel came through his personal connections with other people. Now, having said all this, let me just just make a disclaimer before I wrap up. I, I, I've learned I got to be careful when I talk about the ideas of Christian joy because well, I remember many years ago having a friend who was going through a really deep depression, and I gave him a book on Christian joy, and he's like, yeah, I read the first two chapters, and I went from merely depressed to being suicidal, so I had to stop. It's not, it's not funny, but sometimes, if, if depending on the place that you're in personally or what you're going through personally, it, it, it can be even more discouraging to hear someone talk about how, well, well, we have joy in Jesus regardless of our circumstances, but I think even as you read this more closely, you see the solution to that. That Paul's joy wasn't this; it didn't come from just sitting reading books on joy or thinking deeply about joy, but it really was a byproduct or, or the the source by which he got this was through his relationships and through his connections. And he had he had these deep relationships and in those relationships he he found or he experienced the reality of God's grace and he experienced the reality of the joy of the gospel. And that's in a sense that's what the church is here for. That's why we come together on Sunday morning. That's why we have groups through the week. That's that's one of the benefits of signing up to volunteers. You get to know people at a different level and you, you experience a, a purpose that's outside of yourself. And uh, and a, as we grow in our shared experiences, we find people who can encourage us in our faith. That's how this becomes real to us. So so for those of us who are struggling, for those of us are, are for whom this seems abstract and, and, and the fact that it, the Bible talks about this makes it makes your life feel worse, not better. I just want to encourage you to seek out and find the people who can help you discover the reality of God's joy. Because, see, happiness is something we can sometimes get by winning when someone else loses, by gaining when someone else feels behind, by taking what someone else is giving. But joy in Christ, the remarkable thing about joy is It's something that grows as we give it away. And the more we share it, the more the joy of Christ becomes real to us. So I hope you will think about that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the picture of the Apostle Paul here in the book of Philippians. I thank you that he's a witness to all of us that regardless of the prison we find ourselves in, there's a path to joy there. And I pray particularly for those who've come today who are struggling to feel and to experience joy in the gospel. I pray that somehow, some way, you would help them provide people in their life through whom this joy can become real, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.